Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we get to hear from Andrew Peterson about creativity and calling. If you don't know him, Andrew has performed thousands of concerts, published four novels, released 10 albums, taught college and seminary classes on writing, founded a nonprofit ministry for Christians in the arts, and executive produced a film all in the belief that God calls us to proclaim the gospel and the coming kingdom using whatever gifts are at our disposal. I know this conversation will encourage you to use the gifts that God has given you for His glory as well. Andrew is clear that he has stumbled along the way, made mistake after mistake, and yet continually encounters the grace of God and the power of truth, beauty, and goodness in Scripture and the arts. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. It's such an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. Good to be here. You are probably one of my favorite creatives. Like I was thinking through that statement uh, last night just to make sure that it was true. And it is. I've read everything you've put out like in book form and listened to almost all of your music. And so uh, it's just a joy to get to chat with you today. And I know many of the listeners feel the same way. You are a singer, a songwriter, you're a storyteller, you're an author, you're a dad, you're a husband. There's so many different things that you do, but I would love for them to get to hear from you what it is that you do and what you're passionate about. I don't really know where to begin. Uh, I, I just <laughs> I started doing this as a songwriter. I, I moved to Nashville, my wife and I, whenever we got out of college and came here with just kind of wanting to be a singer songwriter and touring musician, but have wanted to be an author long before I ever wanted to write music. And so it wasn't long before I started working hard on the writing thing too. Along the way, the rabbit room was born as a ministry to other artists. I had just been so overwhelmingly encouraged and edified by the community of Christians who were making music and trying really hard to like steward whatever gifting they had well, that I thought I wanted to kind of find a way to to solidify that and be intentional about that kind of a community. That was where the rabbit room came from. And, you know, then we had kids and, you know, just kind of making it up as we go. Yeah. How many kiddos do you guys have? Well, we have three and the oldest is 21. And then there's a 20 year old and then a 17 year old. And so our 17 year old is graduating here in a minute. And so uh, we're about to be empty nesters. It's awesome. 
Wow, that is so crazy. My husband, Brooks, and I live up in New Hampshire, and we have three kiddos as well, but they're currently five, three, and I think 15 months. So, oh my, <laughs> you've been here, right? <laughs> yes, they were. and it's great. Like each stage of childhood is more fun than the one before it. That is so encouraging to hear because really I think a lot of times parents talk as though like, oh man, I remember those days, like looking at my days and they're like, I miss those days. And I'm like, these yeah. days are really physically exhausting at least. <laughs> I would love to go back even before what you just described and hear from you. When is it that you first began to see yourself as somebody who creates, someone who makes things. Like you mentioned, you went to Nashville to be a singer-songwriter. Like, When did you first see yourself as a creative? Okay, so really quick, I have this really nitpicky thing. I've been trying to like gently encourage people to not use the word creative as a noun. I just think that everybody is creative and there's no such thing as a creative. And so... I'm an artist and I'm a songwriter, but but my wife, who's not an artist, is also just as creative as I am. Um, so that's why. So I always kind of bristle a little bit when people uh, call me a creative. I just want to be like, oh, well, you are too. Let's all just hang out as, as creative people. You know, you think about these stereotypical things when you're thinking about artists and people who make things. And for a really long time, I didn't try to create or try to tap into that side of the way that God had created me because I didn't think it was part of who I am. And aren't we all as image bearers of God uh, at some level creative as he has created us? Totally. And I, I, you know, I feel like it was like five or six years ago when that started showing up, people started kind of using the word in that way. And I, and I remember at first I thought it was such a cool thing. I was like, yeah, that's true. I'm a creative. And then I realized that because I'm a sinner in my heart, I realized I felt cool about it. You know, I was kind of like, it made me feel special. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I started sensing how not helpful that thinking is. But the point is, like so many people use it, I just always, I can't not say, <laughs> I can't not say, hey, just so you know, you're creative too. But I have always been imaginative. And it's interesting, there's a difference between imagination and creativity. I think sometimes the two words get conflated. But imagination is being able to imagine something that isn't there or to be able to see something that it has always been there, but that has been obscured, right? Yeah. And creativity is the hard work of incarnating what you imagine, right? Mm. And so there's two different sides of it. So creativity is the work part. Imagination is kind of like the part that happens in your in your mind. And it's something that it's like a muscle in your mind that you exercise. So as a kid, I remember I'm I'm left-handed. My I'm the only left-handed person in my family. And so I always felt a little bit like an oddball. Yeah. And terrible student, bad grades, bad handwriting, but I was always reading, constantly reading books, loved to draw, constantly drawing. Among the kids in the family, I was the one who was most interested in music and started playing piano and guitar from a very young age. And so it was pretty early on that I that I knew that the arts were what I wanted to do. I wanted to animate at Disney when I was a kid for a while. I wanted to draw Batman comics for a while. I wanted to write fantasy novels. I wanted to be in a rock band. <laughs> uh, there were all of these things that, like that involved creativity that I was leaning toward. And it wasn't until I really began to uh, see the integration of, of my faith and that creativity that I saw a way forward. Yeah. Where was that integration? Like, when did that take place for you? Yeah. Well, it happened mainly when I was about 18, maybe 19, and I encountered... Uh, the music of a guy named Rich Mullins. Yes, I remember. Rich died 
22 years ago, three years ago, wow. something like that. But when he was still alive, of all of the songwriters in Christian music, popular Christian music, he was the most poetic and earthy. And the the songwriter snob in me just kind of had written off a lot of Christian music when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because I didn't want to be in the ministry. I, I wanted to make music. I wanted to make good music or make good movies or good books, whatever. And didn't at that time, I think because of the paradigm that I was living under, that there was a divide, a hard divide between the arts and Christianity. That wasn't anybody's fault. It was just kind of the culture. And it was when I when I heard Rich Mullins and then later read C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, and, and you begin to realize that creating something that is deeply Christian doesn't mean you're cheapening the work of art at all. But I used to think that it was. So I just was like, well, I'd rather not do Christian music. I'd rather just do music. And then when I heard Rich Mullins, I was like, oh, there's a way to write songs that express your own brokenness, songs that are poetic and aren't like slick sounding, you know, he was, he was kind of scratchy and imperfect and his music kind of sounded that way sometimes too. And so I just, I don't know, there was something about it that kind of made the light bulb go on. And I was like, oh, there is no hard line between the arts and Christianity. That Christianity is actually the garden where the arts grow best. So once I realized that at about 18, I just kind of asked God if I could, I could write songs about him. And that's what I've been doing. Hearing Andrew share this about his own story makes me wonder if there's anything that you felt prompted to do that might be kind of like this intersection between something you're passionate about and something that God might actually be calling you to. Have you talked to him about that? It might not look like songwriting or making a podcast, but maybe it looks like getting a group of women together in your neighborhood to study the word, or even buying seedlings from Lowe's and finally starting an herb garden, or busting out your watercolors during nap time and putting on some worship music while you paint, or cooking a new dish and finally having your neighbors over for dinner. Think about it, but better yet, pray. Ask the Lord about that thing that you've been curious about and humbly give it a try as a means by which to glorify Him, to delight in His creation, and to share Him with the world. You know, my daughter, who's five and a half, she and I are reading through the Chronicles of Narnia right now for the first time ever. It's kind of our first exploration with like books that don't have pictures on every page. Oh, yeah. Uh, And we just finished The Horse and His Boy. And I cannot tell you how potent it is just reading C.S. Lewis and that kind of imaginative work alongside even just studying the book of Ephesians and also walking through what I'm going through just in everyday life, like the struggles that I'm facing relationally and things like that. Like, I feel like the Lord is really using his work to illuminate really what's true about the scriptures, too. And I felt that way when I read your books, The Wingfeather Saga. By the way, my husband and I went on the very first vacation we had been on in six years of marriage. And he said everything was great until Hunter downloaded this one book. And it was <laughs> your first book in that series. And then he got onto it as well. But uh, he said, That's I didn't great. see her after that. I was pretty much hauled away on the beach <laughs> under a chair reading the Wingfeather Saga for the duration of our whole entire vacation. But you did that. You took this beautiful story and in the story, you were like pointing us to uh, the bigger story. Like I felt like I could see just whispers of Christian themes like all throughout your book. So 
How did you develop that skill? How did you begin to integrate, like you're saying, uh, your faith and then the gifts that God had given you artistically and in regard to like your imagination and things like that, like you were describing? Yeah, there's a couple different ways to go about writing a story. And and I'm not sure that one is right or wrong, uh, or, or but I think there's some that I prefer more than others. And so um, when I imagined myself writing a story, I, I, I knew for sure that I didn't want it to feel like a sermon. I was like, I just want to tell the best story that I can possibly tell. And as a kid who grew up reading fantasy novels, and I still have a soft spot for dragons and swords and that kind of thing. And I really wanted to tell that kind of a story. But I also had just read the Narnia books with my kids and had seen how formative those stories are to a kid's heart. Like I remember hearing my little boy who's now 21, but he was about five at the time explaining to his uncle about how Aslan died so that Edmund wouldn't have to and how Aslan came back to life. And, and I heard him basically like, and he connected the dots. He was the one who was like, it's like Jesus. Oh my goodness. You know? So I know that that planted seeds in his heart. And so that's something that I, like I took very seriously. I was like, when I write this story, I want it to be the kind of story that will plant the kind of seeds that will grow in their imaginations and in their hearts into the shape of the gospel in some way or other. But at the same time, I wanted to write a story that could sit on the shelf at Barnes and Noble and some random kid could pick it up and just just love it as a story. And that's something that I, I get excited about is the idea that like I've gotten emails from people who have said that you know, they read the books without knowing that I was a Christian or without knowing that I was a singer songwriter, but they kind of like sniffed it out. You know, there was like a, a, a flavor in the stories that, that it tasted Christian somehow. And so that that's what I was really hoping for, because as a kid, and I'm still this way, as soon as I sniff out an agenda and I get the sense that the person telling me the story is trying to like bamboozle me somehow, then I just kind of, the story loses all of its magic. And so first and foremost, when I sat down to write, I was like, I just want to tell the the kind of story that I would have loved to read when I was 12. And so that was the guiding principle for me. I was like, there are themes in here, but I'm not going to like drill down on the themes. I'm just going to tell the story as well as I can and trust that the Holy Spirit and the fact that I am a Christian, he, he will do what he does. And I think he did. Yeah, he totally did. Every single kid that I come across, I'm like, hey, you want to read these books just so that we can have a conversation? (laughs) Because I too, like I have always actually really loved reading children's stories. I love reading in general. uh, Same thing. I'm sad. I'm sad that not as many people, it feels, that are in my age demographic and in my life season also do the same. So I capitalize on the fact that I am a mom and I'm interfacing with other people who might enjoy your books. But I was recommended your books by a mom, Caroline Cobb, who's also uh, a singer songwriter too. And she spoke so highly of that one in particular. And then I picked up Adorning the Dark and I loved reading your description of what like the Lord had been doing in and through you coming to better understand the way in which he designed you and how you can reflect him as you exercise your design. And so for those of us who don't consider ourselves to be artistic or who have a hard time thinking about creating, like, how is it that we can image God as he is our creator? How can we image him as creative beings, even if we don't consider ourselves to be artistic? Yeah. 
I just saw, and I would highly recommend this, a conversation between David Taylor and Eugene Peterson. Eugene's the guy that wrote the message, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, David Taylor is a theologian. And he basically asked Eugene, what, what do you have to say to artists? And this was filmed a few years ago before he died. And it was so great. And one of the things that Eugene, the bits of advice that he gave to pastors who don't know what to do with the artists in their church, he said, go to art museums, commit to going to an art museum a couple times a month and just go and sit and be, and then do a little research, ask yourself who these artists were that were painting these pictures. And he said, what you'll discover about their stories is that it was really hard for them. It was a struggle for them to choose this life that was so strange to so many people Mm -hmm. and to commit yourself to trying to get at the truth through painting uh, Mm -hmm. or to get at it through poetry. You know, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, my life is so hard, but it is a, it is a risky thing trying to make a living as a, as an artist. And so one of the things uh, that I recommend, we live inside of a world that is brimming over with the presence of God, right? And, you know, in the Psalms where it says that the heavens declare his handiwork, like all of creation is preaching a sermon all the time mm-hmm. and learning to pay attention to the kind of pointless beauty that fills the earth, uh, flowers that don't serve much purpose other than just being pretty. Well, there's a precedent, right? And then scripture also has a precedent. Like scripture is not just a book of rules. Mm -hmm. Scripture is poetry and allegory and metaphor and songs, and it's full of all of this stuff. So again and again, we have been given permission to look at the world artistically and to see the world and the story that God is telling, to see God himself as a kind of artist, right? I think that it starts in small ways. Like, for example, my son, Aiden, when he was little, he got way into birds. Somebody bought him a bird book and he started memorizing birds. He's an artist. And so he, a lot of his early drawings are of all these different kinds of birds. And so to this day, he's 21 now. And to this day, when I see a bird that I don't recognize, I'll, if I can snap a picture of it and text it to him and be like, what is this? And he'll shoot me back a thing. Oh, that's an indigo bunting. And, uh, and it's wonderful too, because it's like what I have noticed now, as I walk around our property and the woods around our house is that it's gone from uh, just the sound of birds singing and a bunch of birds flying around to cowbirds and indigo buntings and house finches and yellow finches. And, and I can recognize the sound of a certain kind of owl now. So the whole world kind of like divided into a deeper wonder. As soon as I started paying attention to the variedness of God's creation. And so I think that's one of the biggest muscles you can exercise as an artist or as a person who doesn't think of themselves as an artist is just learn to pay attention. We go through the world so kind of mindlessly so often. And sometimes we watch movies without thinking about what's happening in the movie. Like a simple way to do it is to learn to have conversations about the films that you watch. Yeah. There's a great YouTube channel called Every Frame of Painting. And the guy like breaks down movie scenes and kind of teaches you the language of filmmaking so that when you sit and you watch a movie, you can enjoy it at a deeper level because there's more going on than just Johnny Depp in a pirate outfit right? It's like every movie is telling you something. And so learning the language of artists and stories can just diversify the way that we see the world. It gives us a more specific lens through which to see things. And that's something that anyone can do. Anybody can do. You don't have to be know how to draw 
to, to learn what a good drawing is, right? That's what I would suggest is just kind of learn to pay attention to the many layers of creativity and what goes into it, how it works. And, you know, I, I delight in, like when I talk to somebody who, who's good at math, which I'm terrible at math. Same. When I talk to someone who loves calculus because they see God in it, I am fascinated. I want to, I love hearing people talk about something that they're good at, right? Mm-hmm. Because it just kind of changes the way, like little, little things tweak the way we see the world, and then forever, we'll see the world a little bit differently. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. think particularly given my life season, I know a lot of the listeners are in similar seasons where they have just a lot of little people who have a lot of needs around them physically all the time. And then beyond that, as someone who's creating content, wanting to point women to God and wanting to share of his goodness, there's like a sense of urgency that I feel. And I think that's a pridefulness in me. And I really appreciate you saying all of this because it helps me see like, you know, what? God is seated on his throne. Uh, He doesn't need me to like go about this so furiously sometimes because I think I miss a lot. I would love to hear from you what the process of creating, like how that helps you to connect with God. And then additionally, do you ever feel like creating kind of gets in the way of you meeting with God because you're wanting to make something. And sometimes you may be missing things because in your hurry of wanting to create, it's hard to like slow down and to be present and to experience it like you were describing earlier. Well, I would say that the songwriting process, the same thing with books, same thing with drawings. It's a profoundly spiritual exercise. Like I like to draw too. And so one of my goals for <laughs> the end of last year was to learn how to draw trees. And so I just spent a couple of weeks every night coming out and drawing until two in the morning. And by the end of it, I was like, oh yeah, I can, I, I'm not a, like a great artist, but I, I can pretty much draw a tree out of my brain now. One that I'm semi happy with. And so it changed the way that I looked at all of the trees in my yard. People don't usually notice this. I didn't notice it before, but if you look at the forest, trees don't go straight up and down. Like they're all wonky. They go different angles. The same kinds of trees will hang around. And then you notice that the reason it grows funny tells the story of its life. A tree has a curve in it because one winter a branch fell off, you know, and it compensated. So just by the artistic process, quite literally forces you to slow down and stop moving. I heard this and I immediately considered what it might look like for a mom with young children like me to stop moving. When do I ever sit still? 
With a 5, 3, and 15-month-old, these moments do not come often. And honestly, when they do, I'm almost always reaching for my Bible and trying to nourish myself with the truth. But it occurred to me that there are lots of little moments throughout the day when I could potentially practice this alongside my children, like when they want to sit down and color, or when we're hiking through the woods and taking a closer look at the flowers, or even when we're reading aloud, pausing, and reflecting on the story. For those of you in busy seasons who feel like pausing for a moment is a luxury, consider how you might be able to redeem little pockets of time throughout your day, like when you're sitting on the subway, commuting to work, or pushing a stroller through the neighborhood, or in those precious fringe hours after work and before bed. Ask the Lord to give you eyes to see those moments and to actively embrace opportunities to rest in Him and commune with Him throughout your day. Like you are you are no longer moving around in the world. You are sitting in one place. Your brain is active, but you're, you're sitting still. So there's a kind of active rest that you're engaged in when you're doing any kind of creative work. It has never gotten in the way of God. I, ha- I feel like I have more conversations with him in the process because it's so difficult. When I'm trying to write a song, it's like, it's kind of like there's this huge wall. I've never thought of this metaphor before, but it's like there's a huge wall and you know that somewhere in the wall or the the hedge that there is a hole through and that's the song. And so you can spend hours walking up and down the miles long length of this wall, trying to find the way in. And so sometimes with the song, it's that way. Like you're like, I'm all I see is a wall. I don't know how to get into this thing. But on the other side of this, there's the verse, the first verse. And so I've just got to do a lot of hunting, um, crawling around on your hands and knees to find the path that the rabbits made, you know, that sounds silly, but like the whole time I'm looking for the breach in the wall, I'm having a conversation with the maker the whole time. It's like, please help me find this. Why do you make things so difficult? If you gave me this gift, why is it so hard to do the thing? I wish that I could write the song. What, what, maybe this is, maybe I'm in the wrong field altogether. Maybe I need to go. Over. And I realize at the end of the thing that I'm glad I'm alone because I've been talking out loud like a crazy person <laughs> to God for hours. So there, there ends up being this like wonderful communion that happens in the creative process that comes in part because it's so frustrating. It's like Wendell Berry, he says, it's the impeded stream that sings. You know, the reason a babbling brook makes a noise is because there's something in its way. Mm. And so you can kind of enjoy the fact that it's difficult because it's opening a lane for conversation between you and your creator. Mm -hmm. That's something that I really need to take note of because a lot of times I'm just trying to get the thing done. You can tell I'm like this type A, like action oriented person. And so I'll miss out on that communion with God when I'm trying to create. And so sometimes I think that is what gets in the way of me communing with God in the process. It can be like, I'm just trying to, you know, make this thing and not talk to him in the process of doing that. So I really miss out on a sweetness that's there. And then I end up feeling really burned out. I wonder why, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> like being burned out is, it comes with the territory. I would also say that like, it is what it is. Like if that's the way you're you're made to be driven and to do the thing, like God's not mad at you because you're not talking to it. Not like you're saying this, but I'm just, I'm thinking out loud that there've been times when I'm like, I wish I was different. I wish I was wired different. Like if my own kid were to say that, I would say, no, no, no. I love the way you're made. Look how wonderful it is that you're wired this way. And so it's it's okay. As my wife's dad says, the world's not going to go down in green cheese. I have no idea what that <laughs> phrase means, but we use it all the time. <laughs> it just kind of snaps me out of it and reminds me that like God is not worried about me figuring this out. Like he he is going to, he's going to be glorified in the end either way. 
Amen and amen. What do you do when you feel burned out? What is the reset button for you when you feel burned out? The main times that I feel burned out are from traveling too much. Like I, I, uh, Mm. I'm this quarantine has been like a wonderful Sabbath for us. And I know it's hard for a lot of people, but we live in the country, so we haven't been holed up in our house for this thing. And it has been the most recharging couple months of my whole life, I think. Because the only thing that I don't like about my job is the fact that I can't do it at home. Yes, I write the books here, but the every album comes out comes with a tour. And so right. for weeks and weeks and weeks of every year I'm, you know, in hotel lobbies and airport gate areas. And and it's easy after twenty five years to start to feel like Whoo, man, like I, I used to get that butterfly of excitement from seeing a new city. And most places that I go, I'm just kind of like, I just kind of want to be home right now. One of the things that I think my wife and I did right was that we made sure that our kids knew that this was a calling. And as much as I love to play music and to do music and all that comes with it, I would always rather be with them. Like mm-hmm. it pulls me away, but I'm, I, I don't think my kids ever grew up with the sense that the road was an escape for me. Hmm. Uh, they would hear me kind of groan when it was time to leave. And so they knew that I'd rather be with them than on the stage. And so I think that just being home for long stretches of time are one, is one of the best things for me. That said, I think that's the best answer that I have, that being burnt out usually happens when I'm in some random car on an interstate and I feel like nothing around me has stopped moving for weeks. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's so much hard that comes with the territory on COVID, but it, it definitely feels like a bit of a reset button for mm-hmm. all of us in that way and just learning to embrace more of our own limitations. And I have felt that yeah. in a really good way, even though we haven't been able to get out much here in New Hampshire. We still do, but there's been snow on the ground up until April 22nd. So oh, it's been no. pretty chilly, but you know, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that even using the word creative is kind of a little bit of a trigger and that for you, you felt like you were waving it to, I don't know, proudly at one point in your life. I'd love to hear about, you know, what happens when you misappropriate your gift and maybe use it for your own glory when you find yourself using it and wielding it to elevate your name, even if you don't fully acknowledge that you're doing it at the time, like what does that process look like? And what do you do when you come to acknowledge that you might be stepping into that territory? Well, I think there's no way around it. I think everybody is always going to be fighting that battle. I think the best thing you can do is to remember that God is going to redeem our screw ups. That's kind of what he does. Mm -hmm. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off. Your motives are never going to be perfectly pure. So it, it kind of like one of the worst things that can happen is that you can be so worried about, am I doing this for the right reasons that you don't do anything at all? Yeah, for sure. For, for example, I remember our neighbor, they were having some kind of like event at their house and he didn't have time to finish mowing this big swath of it, the side of the hill. I'm looking at it right now. There's this big hill that's on his property that, you know, it takes him an hour or two to mow. And I knew that they were stressing because, you know, there had been a funeral that week and they were having people over. And And I remember thinking, I need to just go mow his yard for him. And then I immediately was like, 
why are you doing that? Are you doing that because he, you want him to think of you as a good guy? And, oh, isn't that going to be so nice of you to go do that thing? And so I was debating and I almost reached the point where I was like, nah, I just won't do it because I've been doing it to make myself look awesome. And then I just kind of snapped out of it. I was like, that's exactly what the enemy wants me to do. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter what my motives are in the long run. Like, God is going to grow me beyond that. Yeah. yeah. And in the meantime, just go mow your neighbor's yard. It's going to be yeah. fine. And so I finally did mow the yard. And I remember like just again, mowing is a time where I can talk to the Lord because it's a long time with just me and my thoughts. And I remember uh, being so hilariously shocked at how self-satisfied and smug I was as I mowed that yard. I was just like, man, I am the best dude in the neighborhood. Just kind of like, just feeling like the king of the world. And then that, luckily, I like God gave me the grace of a sense of humor about it because you could be like, wow, it's like, I can't believe what a what how needy and petty that I still can be. And all those yeah. things are like learning opportunities. So my point is that like, I cannot tell you how much of the stuff that I've said yes to over the years was born out of some mixture of ambition and fear. Mm-hmm. Like ambition and fear are two of the things that like drive us to do a lot of the things that we're doing. So on one hand, yes, I'll go do that concert or speak at that thing or sign that whatever deal, because I'm trying to make a name for myself and I'm trying to like leave a legacy, which is just a giant waste of time. One of my favorite Rich Mullins quotes is if your ambition is to leave a legacy, then what you'll leave is a legacy of ambition. Ouch. So like that, that is not your goal is to leave some name for yourself. But honestly, like a lot of the time when I was really young, I was just like driven by this desire to prove that I exist. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's one half of it. And the other half of it is the fact that I grew up poor and was, have always had this like kind of scary ghost in the back of my head that says, if you stop working, your family's going to starve, which puts all of the, makes me the provider instead of God, the provider. And so those two things together have, when I look back at the times that I'm exhausted and burnt out, I'm like, oh, it's because I said yes to a bunch of stuff I wasn't supposed to because I was driven by fear or ambition. It was born of the flesh and not of the spirit. Here's the good news, though. The good news is it doesn't matter. The good news is that God redeems it. Like, even if my ambition was to leave a name for myself and I was trying to feed my kids in a way that was, un, you know what I mean, to, to pay the bills out of fear, God still used those songs and he still used my broken motivations for his glory. And so one of my favorite little nuggets of wisdom came from a guy named Brown Bannister. Who's a, he produced all of the Amy Grant records and is just a wonderful, wonderful human being, wonderful record producer. He's a teacher, a professor at Lipscomb university where my son goes to school. Mm. I bumped into him the day that we were moving Aiden into college. And I remember crying the night before because I was like, Oh, my little boy, he's graduating. He's going to college. And the main source of my tears uh, was regret. It was me just feeling like all I could think about was how many nights that I watched some stupid movie on Netflix instead of hanging out with my kid, you know? And I was like, oh, 18 years he lived at home and I could have been drawing with him. I could have been. And the the truth is, Aiden was laughing. He was like, Papa, (laughs) you're a good dad. Like, you know, quit your crying. I love you. And like, I was like, I know, but I, it's like the end of Schindler's List. With this ring, I could have saved how many people? And so my wife was like, Andrew, you're a good dad. Don't beat yourself up. My daughter and my other son, 
Papa, you're a good dad. Don't beat yourself up. And then I got to the school the next day and I'm crying while we're carrying Aiden's stuff into the dorm and other parents are crying. And I, I was like, how are you doing? They're like terrible. And, uh, <laughs> and I would just say, I'm just so full of regret. And they would say, you're a good dad. You're a good dad. And none of it helped, right? None of it made me feel any better. And then I bumped into Brown Manister, and he's an older, wiser man. And he said, how are you doing? And I told him all of this. I said, I'm just so full of regret. And he laughed and he goes, ah, I remember that feeling. Can I just tell you, it has been so fun to see the way the Lord has redeemed all my screw ups. Hmm. So what he didn't say was, oh, you're a good dad. Yeah. He said, yeah, of course you screwed up. (laughs) Of course you had regrets. Why are you so shocked that you have regrets? Like the beautiful thing about the gospel is that it doesn't depend on me having good motivations or doing things in the right way. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so Mm -hmm. that was exactly what I needed was like, oh, that's right. Now I get to see the way the Lord is going to heal us. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I would say that from a creative standpoint and anything else that we do, it's like, just go do the thing, know that you're a mess and that God is going to, going to redeem it. That's what he does. Know that you're a mess and that God is redeeming the work that he set before you. Andrew's encouragement here really resonated with me. Did you know that the Journey Women podcast was born out of this place of humility Even though I want one, I don't have a seminary degree. As you all know at this point, I don't have perfect theology. You probably also know that I don't know much about sound engineering or editing a podcast. I am basically the definition of unschooled and ordinary. And yet, I continue to walk forward in faith, trusting the Lord in the work that He has set before me because He is God and He will accomplish His purpose no matter what. What has he set before you that you need to simply trust him with and act out of that place of humility and trust? I really want to encourage you to take that before the Lord and to take that to your church community and to ask for their insight, wisdom, and help. I have a hard time moving forward if I'm not able to do something to the degree that I feel like it is perfect. Yeah. I have learned that with the three kiddos that God has entrusted to me with this podcast and different things in my life. This is not going to be a perfect process. And yet the Lord in his kindness mainly uses it to change me. And then the byproduct, I think, is that some other people who might find it encouraging have access to it, too. So it's really cool to get to hear you say that. I think a lot of listeners probably are identifying with what we're both talking about here. Do you have any just encouragement for somebody who's listening that really wants to just take maybe a next step in the direction of, like we talked about, like slowing down, paying attention to art or also just exercising maybe this muscle for the glory of God um, and humbling themselves, being willing to do it imperfectly just to try? Like, do you have any encouragement for somebody in that boat? Well, I would just say, let yourself off the hook. Don't don't expect anything that you're going to be doing to be awesome. I think that one of the things that I talk about in the book is this idea that intention trumps execution. The idea that like what you mean to do is what the audience is going to remember longer than what you actually did. Yeah. And so, uh, so it kind of gives you the freedom to go be a little bit reckless and to go try something. So, you know, how many people think, gosh, I'd love to draw one day, but I'm a terrible artist, so I'm never going to try. 
Yeah. I would just suggest that you just relieve yourself of the pressure to do it right and just do something. I wrote a poem. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to work or not, but Jimmy Abeg is an artist here in Nashville. And uh, I was talking to him one time about, about this kind of conversation. He said something like, well, I, the poem is this, what Jimmy Abeg taught me about art. As long as you're doing something, he said, failure is a word that has no meaning. Hmm. And so I wrote this poem. <laughs> that was my poem fantastic so that, i think that's a good principle is just just go do stuff like recover a sense of play i think my sister yes. and my sister-in-law jennifer trafton is a an author and an artist and that's one of the things that she teaches in her classes is try to like be young again be young enough to not care if you mess up and just go make something ah that makes me want to cry i was just texting with a girlfriend of mine and I think about myself as like this 13-year-old girl who didn't have a care in the world, didn't really have a sense of needing the approval of other people or anything. And it was kind of on the precipice of like that transition into high school where that became like, wow, like at the forefront of my mind. And we were texting back and forth and I said something about myself to the extent of like, I think I just got back to her, to that 13-year-old girl wearing overalls and doing the worm in the middle school dance, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I used to do the worm too. (laughs) You know, in overalls, that's particularly dangerous for the hip bones, let me just say. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, one of the questions that I ask every guest who comes on the show, I mean, people have gotten a great sense of who you are because you share just so authentically, and I'm so grateful for that. But I love to ask, what are three of your simple joys? Well, the first one is gardening. And I know that I got into gardening maybe five, six years ago. And it started out with me reading a Wendell Berry book. Uh, and he's a farmer, author, guy who I love. And I went and bought, went to Lowe's and bought a tomato plant, you know, and like used a hoe and tilled up a corner of our, we at the time lived in a subdivision, tilled up like a four foot square thing and planted some tomato plants and got one cherry tomato at the end of the season. It was it was hilariously uh, lame attempt at gardening, but it kind of like woke something up in me that I'm still chasing down. We now live in the countryside and, and I've abandoned vegetable gardening for the most part. We have some raised beds, but we have a cottage garden in the front yard and I learned to build dry stack stone walls and, and have been working on this kind of the property for the last five or six years. And it is one of the most spiritually fulfilling things that I can do. One of the, like literally it's a grounding exercise. <laughs> I just absolutely love watching things grow. And like I said earlier, creation is always preaching. Mm-hmm. I learn a lot about the mind of God through watching, trying to shape this place into something beautiful. I, I think one of the things that we are called to do one of the best ways to use our imagination is to look at the world around us and imagine what the kingdom of God and its fullness is going to look like one day and to get busy building it. Yeah. Start now. And so gardening is at the top, top of the list. I love watching movies. There's one of my favorite things in the world is when everybody is in, into the same show. Yeah. We watch an episode and so, and my wife says one more episode and it's like, yes. And everybody goes and gets a drink and like cuddles up on the couch for the next thing. So a great story is, is always um, high on our list. And then I guess what would the third thing be? Hmm. Um, oh, I'm a beekeeper. That's the other thing. I love, I love bees. And so every single day, about five times a day, I go 
walk over to the to the hives and inspect them. I, there's a little uh, it's an observation hive, so I can like open up a panel on the side and mm-hmm. kind of watch what they're up to. I'm mesmerized by uh, the beekeeping thing, and like they're always it's always fascinating to me. Okay, so merging your last two simple joys together, did you see the documentary Honeyland by chance? I loved it. What a <laughs> wonderful human being she is. It was not what I was expecting. Me either. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> but what a great story. She was fantastic. It was just an incredible was so story. Beautiful and and like oh, I just wanted to hug her. Like what a crazy yes. story. Yeah. So everybody should watch Honeyland. I I yes. in agreement. Yeah. It's yes. Wonderful. Just know it's not what you're expecting. Yeah. Not exactly the happy feels I was I was thinking I was going well, to experience, but they were still, yeah, it was still very much a sense of appreciation. Yes, for sure. Well, the last question that I have that I ask every guest who joins me on the Journey Women podcast, you know, this podcast was really born out of just feeling like I had an abundance of mentors in my own life and wanting to share them with women as we moved all over the country when my husband was in the military. And I love getting to hear how other people have influenced us in our journeys with Jesus. And I'd love to get to hear from you. Who is it that you feel like has had uh, the greatest impact on your own journey with Jesus? It's kind of a lame answer in some ways, because I've already talked about him so much, but Rich Mullins, probably more than any other person, helped me believe that God loved me. And as a kid who grew up in the church, who kind of knew the Bible well enough to think he knew it, I just completely missed the fact that God loved me as much as he does. Hmm. I think I assumed that he was more angry with me than happy with me in Christ. So carrying a lot of shame around in my heart and then encountering Rich Mullins' music was one of the things that unlocked the gospel to me. And so Rich just had this amazing, amazing way of, of talking about God as if he was a friend of his. And he helped me believe that he was real. He would be probably first and then second would probably be C.S. Lewis who obviously I didn't know either of these people, but I think of them as mentors because they have so shaped my imagination and my understanding of the gospel. You know, I am not meaning to puff you up in any way whatsoever here, but I just want you to know, I think a lot of people feel that way about you. I know my little girls, they at the top of their lungs, and I apologize if I get emotional, I blame the fact that I'm still in the childbearing years. They will sing, Is He Worthy? Uh, And it is the most beautiful sound that my ears have heard in my 32 years. Thank you from the depths of my heart for the work that you are doing to help us cultivate a love for our creator. It has truly been a blessing to me, and I know it's been a blessing to so many people who are listening. Thanks for joining us on the show today. You are so welcome. Thank you. He is worthy of it all, isn't he, friends? We pray this conversation with Andrew encourages you to humbly go about the good work that the Lord has set before you today, resting in grace and trusting that He will redeem all of your screw-ups. If you found this episode helpful, we would love for you to take a few seconds and share it with someone in your own community that you think might benefit from hearing it too. We even have resources like discussion questions, as well as how you can connect with Andrew over on our website at journeywomenpodcast.com. This conversation is part of our summer series, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on new episodes in the coming weeks. Editing for today's episode was done by Chad Michael Snavely. We are so grateful for him and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. We can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.